0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. In this session, which is part two of our Herpes simplex virus in pregnancy little series, we will cover specifics on pregnancy management. Management strategies for women who have genital herpes during pregnancy include suppressive antiviral therapy starting at 36 weeks to reduce the recurrence at labor and cesarean delivery for select women to reduce the risk of neonatal transmission. However, neither intervention fully eliminates the risk of neonatal herpes infection. Let's talk about the use of antiviral therapy for the treatment of primary or non-primary first-episode genital infection. For women without a history of genital HSV infection who present with a new genital ulcer during pregnancy, it's recommended to begin empiric antiviral therapy while awaiting viral studies. Although newly acquired genital HSV is self-limited, treatment can reduce the duration of active lesions, symptoms, and viral shedding. Traditionally, acyclovir at 400 mg three times daily has been used, but valacyclovir or Valtrex is a suitable alternative. The duration of treatment is typically 7 to 10 days, but treatment can be extended if healing is incomplete after 10 days. Subsequently, antiviral therapy is restarted at 36 weeks for suppression. Now, in women with a new-onset genital ulcer, without a prior history, that's suspicious for HSV, that occurs in the third trimester, medication or antiviral therapy should begin at the time of diagnosis, but should continue on until the time of delivery. For suppression, for any woman who presents with a genital HSV lesion any time during pregnancy or with a prior history, whether it's primary non-primary first episode or recurrent, it's recommended to begin suppressive therapy at 36 weeks of gestation and continue until the onset of labor. Suppressive therapy from 36 weeks to delivery reduces the frequency of symptomatic HSV recurrence at the onset of labor and thus reduces the need for cesarean delivery. It also reduces viral shedding, which is important since viral shedding may result in vertical transmission. Women with one or more symptomatic genital HSV infections during pregnancy are the most likely to benefit. There is no evidence that HSV seropositive women without active genital lesions during pregnancy benefit from suppressive therapy. So, in this case, it may not be offered to these women. Once again, women who simply have sero evidence, that's IgG antibodies to HSV-1 or 2 but have never had a genital sore, it's unsure if suppressive therapy is required or helpful in these women. Regarding antepartum obstetric procedures, transcervical procedures like cerclage or chorionic villus sampling should be avoided in women who have genital lesions in order to reduce the risk of infecting the placenta or the membranes, but they may be performed in asymptomatic patients. Transabdominal procedures like amniocentesis or fetal blood sampling are not contraindicated in women with active genital disease. As for route of delivery, all women with a history of HSV, genital sores, should be asked about current outbreaks or prodromes. It is currently the recommendation of ACOG and the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention to offer cesarean delivery as soon as possible after the onset of labor or rupture of membranes to women with a history of genital HSV and either of the following, either active genital lesions, including those that have crusted over, or prodromal symptoms like pain or burning. Now, if the membranes have been ruptured for longer than six hours, it is still recommended to perform a cesarean section, although the majority of the data favors a lower risk of transmission if the C-section occurs within the first four hours. However, no studies have established an interval in after rupture of membranes when cesarean delivery clearly has no neonatal benefit. Once again, no studies have established an interval after rupture of membranes when cesarean delivery clearly has no neonatal benefit. So, if patients present with prodrome or an active lesion with ruptured membranes, a cesarean delivery should be performed as soon as possible. For women with no active lesions or prodrome, the decision on route of delivery really depends on the type and the timing of the HSV infection. For women with no active lesions or prodrome, but who had a primary or non-primary first episode during the current pregnancy, the optimal route of delivery is actually unclear because viral shedding can be prolonged in this setting and maternal antibodies may not have developed before delivery. Now, remember, this is for primary or non-primary first episode. This doesn't apply for recurrent infections. Now, in the absence of obstetric indications for C-section, the decision really depends heavily on the woman's preferences and values. For all such women, it's important to discuss the uncertainty of the magnitude of the transmission risk, particularly as the duration of time between infection and delivery increases and the evidence that C-section does decrease but it doesn't completely eradicate the risk of vertical transmission. Now, for those women whose primary or non-primary first episode genital infection occur during the latter weeks of pregnancy, then cesarean delivery is suggested given the possibility of a high risk of neonatal transmission. Once again, expert groups have noted the potential value of cesarean section when a primary or non-primary first genital herpes infection occurs in the latter weeks of pregnancy. So as an example, the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists recommends cesarean delivery for women who present with a first episode genital herpes infection in the third trimester, particularly those who develop symptoms within six weeks of expected delivery. Now, for women with a history of recurrent HSV but no active lesions or prodrome, the risk for neonatal HSV is too low to warrant cesarean section. Okay, so we have to clarify something here about non-genital HSV lesions. It is not recommended to perform cesarean delivery in women with active non-genital HSV lesions. That includes the back, the buttocks, or the thigh. Although the risk of genital shedding is higher than in asymptomatic women, the risk of neonatal transmission is still likely not high enough to warrant cesarean, and the non-genital lesions do not confer a measurable risk of transmission in the absence of direct neonatal or fetal contact, so these lesions should be covered with an occlusive dressing before labor and delivery progress. Okay, next, let's cover the specifics on labor management. The use of fetal scalp electrodes, which causes a break in the fetal skin, is a potential risk factor for acquisition of neonatal HSV in women with asymptomatic viral shedding. Therefore, it's prudent to limit the use of fetal scalp electrodes among laboring women with a history of HSV infection. External fetal heart rate monitoring is preferred, according to the college, as long as adequate information can still be obtained. Additionally, avoidance of other procedures like vacuum or forceps is also prudent if possible since these devices can cause fetal skin abrasions and increase the risk of HSV infection even if asymptomatic viral shedding is present. All right, as we wrap up this podcast, let's cover a special situation. Well, what about preterm, pre-labor rupture of membranes in the presence of HSV? Let's get into that next. Clinical decision-making for patients with preterm, pre-labor rupture of membranes and active HSV must balance between the risk associated with preterm birth and the risk for ascending in utero infection. Well, let's talk about recurrent HSV in the setting of PPROM first. Limited evidence does support expectant management for PPROM in the second trimester in women with active, recurrent Herpes genital infection. Now, in the third trimester, the risk associated with prematurity, which varies, of course, by gestational age, must be balanced with the risk for in utero infection on a case-by-case basis. If delay of delivery is appropriate because of concerns about gestational age, remote from term, then it's recommended to give IV acyclophere at 5 mg per kilo every 8 hours to shorten the duration of active lesions in the mother to decrease the viral burden. However, the ability of acyclovir to prevent maternal-fetal transmission has not fully been proven. In cases of primary or first-episode genital HSV and PPROM, well, there's no data that's available on the risk of fetal infection following expected management of primary or non-primary first-episode genital HSV complicated by PPROM optimal management remains uncertain. Confirmation of the diagnosis of primary or non-primary first episode genital infection is, of course, of utmost importance. Now, given the absence of data to inform decision-making, it's difficult to weigh the risks of in-utero infection against the risks associated with preterm delivery, which can vary significantly by the week-to-week gestational age. In light of the high risk for fetal infection during primary infection and the high risk for neonatal morbidity mortality in infected fetuses, some authorities do suggest prompt delivery of pregnancies greater than 28 weeks of gestation in an attempt to minimize the risk for fetal infection. Others, however, use a threshold of 32 weeks. The neonate is then treated with acyclovir and surfactant. Now, before 28 or 32 weeks, the risks associated with prematurity are quite high, and they may actually outweigh the risk for fetal infection with expectant management. So, acyclovir can be administered to the mother to shorten the duration of lesions and reduce viral shedding, although there's limited data showing prevention of neonatal infection with this regimen. Okay, as we wrap up this podcast, remember that it's still the recommendation of the CDC and the American College of OBGYN not to perform universal screening for herpes simplex virus serum antibodies because it is not yet proven to reduce neonatal infection simply by identifying women who carry anti-HSV type 1 or type 2 antibodies without a prior history of genital sores. So once again, ACOG does not recommend universal screening for the presence of HSV antibodies during pregnancy. Well, that wraps up our podcast covering HSV management during pregnancy. We'll see you next time.